Hello everyone. Welcome to the newmom.me podcast. I am Pooja Kapoor, founder and CEO of newmom.me. newmom.me is a one-stop resource connecting parents, pre and postpartum service providers, products and classes. Our podcast is dedicated to create awareness about various types of support available for new and parents to be, as well as connecting them with talented providers who are experts in their field. We know how busy life is for parents. So keeping that in mind, we have divided our podcast into small 20-minute sessions which you can hear at your own pace. Today, we are talking to Deborah Brenter, an experienced lactation consultant who has supported hundreds of moms in their breastfeeding journey. In this three-part series, we will cover first, risk factor for breastfeeding and why it is important to learn about them. Second series, we will talk about how to prepare for breastfeeding during your pregnancy and build your postpartum support system. And the third series will cover role of partner, culture and community in breastfeeding and how to successfully bring them together. In this part two of our three series podcast, we are going to talk to Deborah about how to prepare for breastfeeding during your pregnancy and build your postpartum support system. Good morning, Deborah, and welcome back. Continuing with our discussion from series one, I see parents have such unrealistic expectations about, or have actually no expectation about how does newborn operate? I was talking to a parent-to-be and the dad said, oh, I am all prepared and I'll be fine if my baby sleeps through the night. And I said, okay, let's have a discussion around it. Let, let's talk to you about baby sleep. So I also feel, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you're way more experienced than I am, is that even mm. if parents have realistic expectation that my baby has to be fed eight to 12 times a day, will not sleep through the night. And, and the reason behind that, you know, it's safe for them. Their tummies are small, can make a huge difference in setting the expectation, right? And then not feeling that, why isn't my baby sleeping? Or why do I have to feed every two or three hours? So yeah, I would love mm-hmm. your thoughts on that. Well, I compare it sometimes to if you've gone to a plant nursery and you bought the little one-inch pot tomato plant Mm -hmm. to transplant, you're going to be keeping a very good eye on that. I mean, sometimes I would just put it under a water that's just dripping lightly all day until I go to transplant that. Whereas if you have a baby that's like in a five gallon pot, well, Mm -hmm. not the baby, but the tomato plant, (laughs) you know, that thing could probably handle being watered once a day, the first week. So you have a small baby, like I said, was being given everything 24 hours a day constantly. Now they're on the outside. They don't get enough frequent feedings. They will be either scream or become extremely tired. And you don't want that, oh, I have such a good baby because you want a baby that's feeding very well for the baby's sake and also because then you're giving mom the message, the mom's breasts, to make more milk sooner. A sleepy baby is not giving mom that message. And that's when you run into supply problems later. Does that answer your question? Totally. And this is something which if moms are aware of and they're pregnant 
and say, okay, you know, these are the must-haves I have to do. And so I remember when my son was born and I was in the hospital, a nurse came to me, I was just breastfeeding my son for the first time. And she said, okay, you have to feed him after two hours. I looked at the time, I said, like 12.30. I said, okay, I'll feed him at, at 2.30. She said, no, 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 not when you ended breastfeeding. It's when you started. Mm-hmm. My jaw dropped. I'm not kidding. Mm-hmm. I still remember that move. I said, really? And now when I think about it, that if I knew it beforehand, I would have been shocked. I would be more well prepared to say, okay, I have to do it. This happens for so many months. And and versus, you know, knowing that, oh my God, really? Now I have to do this, now I have to do that. And that is something I see consistently with other parents I talk to or I help them out. And I also see the difference that when you prepare them beforehand and say, hey, this is what you should expect. And the, the, the situation remains the same, but the way they handle the situation totally changes trajectory of their experience. And being in the hospital as well, the nurses will swaddle your baby tight. And the parents think I have to learn how to swaddle. I have to learn how to burp. I have to learn that the baby has to learn how to sleep on their back in the crib. And then I come in I'm like, okay, we're going to learn how to unswaddle. <laughs> we're going to learn how to hold skin to skin because the more the baby stays on the mother's chest, even after a feeding, it's more natural for the baby to go back onto the breast. It's less of a struggle to unwrap wait for the baby to wake up. Baby was on their back. Now they're on their front. It's very confusing for the baby. Whereas what I like to say is keep them in the kitchen at the breast is the best address. Why not? You're wide awake staring at the ceiling. Why is your baby across the room in a plastic container? If you want to establish breastfeeding, we only say every two to three hours because we know from babies that are separated from their mothers Mm-hmm. they need to be fed at least every three hours and you need to pump every three hours. But really, if you're mm-hmm. with your baby, which is the whole point of rooming in, it's mm-hmm. to establish frequency. It's also going to teach you how to hold your baby, that baby with the floppy head. And sometimes the baby's mm-hmm. head goes from one side to the other. If you go home and now I'm speaking for the partners and you've never really held your baby, it's going to be quite a shock to have to be all on your own when you get home. So why not practice? How many times in your life are you going to hold mm-hmm. a brand new baby? It's yeah. Uh, uh, how many? Not very often, probably, yeah. if you're like most of the people in Spokane Valley. So why not hold a baby? You're not going to spoil a baby. You're only going to get to know your baby more. And they uh-huh. want to be held and hugged. They don't want to be on their back. They need to be on their back if you're all asleep for safety. Otherwise, I say, let's do the breaststroke, not the backstroke. Think of how much easier it is to swim when you're doing the breaststroke as opposed to on your Mm -hmm. back. Why would a baby want to be on their back all day? So there's something about us liking to be hugged and comforted on the chest. The other thing is, and everyone could have a postpartum doula. I really do think the world would be a better place because you would get all your questions answered. You would know, is this a problem? Is this not a problem? There are no in-person support groups. How are you going to figure out if you're doing what you're doing is right? Why did the mom that came to me last week, it was her third visit, but I hadn't seen her since the beginning. Baby, it had doubled its birth weight. Why is she waking the baby up at night to feed the baby? Because no one told her to stop. 
She does not need to be waking her baby up once the baby is yeah. above birth weight. So there are all these things that you go see your pediatrician the day after you come home from the hospital. You go see them at two weeks. You do not see them again for two months. Who is going to answer all your questions? If you rely on Google, you're going to be very confused. And you're going to say, everybody says something different. Everything I read is different. So I would find a breast friend and stick with that person. <laughs> I'm going to use that as a quote. You know, it's like a golden nugget. Just lit this light in my head when you were explaining about why babies need to be roomed in and why babies need kin to skin. Because like I was mentioning before, no one tells you beforehand. And you are in hospital and say, oh, skin to skin is good. But the way you framed it, it just kind of turns the conversation. Because now we are talking about the benefits. Now we are talking about how it helps mother, how it helps babies, and how it really sets you up for success in the future. So framing this entire, how do you do skin to skin? and or How do you initiate breastfeeding after a baby is born? It, it's a golden nugget. You probably just print it out and, you know, distribute it to all the mom I was listening to you. I'm like, oh my God, why don't we talk like that to women? And why don't we share that instead of saying, oh yeah, we are doing rooming in because, you know, it's been recommended. We are a baby friendly hospital and all that. It doesn't really un- resonate with a lot of parents saying, okay, okay, you're baby friendly. Again, it comes back to, you know, baby friendly, but the way you framed it, it's like how it helps mothers and how it helps babies and how it really sets them up for long-term success. And many things come to mind too, because the nurses have breastfeeding knowledge, but they also are kind of stuck on this every three hours. When they ask me to go see somebody, they'll say, oh, and the next feeding will be, let's say at 930. And I'm thinking, how do you know that? I mean, a baby doesn't have a watch. Correct. So I really prefer everybody just hold the baby skin to skin and let the baby kind of find its way Mm -hmm. to the breast. It's much more natural. I'm remembering when I first started studying to become a lactation consultant and I was at the Kaiser Newborn Club in Santa Clara and we would weigh the babies before they breastfed, after they breastfed. And I'm thinking, I haven't held a baby in quite a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And it is not like holding a doll, not like picking up a cat. Your precious skin, bones, blood, you don't want to drop it, obviously. But how are you going to get used to picking up and holding your baby unless you pick up and hold your baby? Correct. So it just it just helps. It, and then you'll see moms, if they wait four or five years, again, they have to get used to uh-huh. holding a newborn all over again because it's a very special thing. They don't really have head and neck control, and you've got to really... Mm-hmm. make sure that they are safe in your arms. So staring at the ceiling, watching your swaddled baby sleeping is really not going to set you up. And if you have a vaginal delivery, you're going home in 24 hours. Why not get as much experience as you can while you have all these health professionals around you Absolutely. and then hire a postpartum doula? <laughs> yes, I was about to come to that. So what is your advice? One thing which I struggle with is when I talk to parents who are pregnant and I explain it to them that, hey, you should hire a postpartum doula. So first of all, they don't know what postpartum doula is. Many people are aware of birth doulas, but postpartum doulas, they're like, oh, I don't know what what do they do. 
So, and then I explain it to them that, hey, this is different from a nanny or different from a mother's helper. They have this expertise. So then they're like, okay. And, and when it comes to price point, I see a lot of parents kind of thinking, hmm, do I need to spend this much? And what I say is, believe me, you let go of one vacation, but if you hire a postpartum doula, you are setting yourself for a very long-term success and a good experience because so many studies I'm sure you are aware of have proven over and over again that if mom have a traumatic postpartum experience, it impacts the relationship with the child, with your partner. Overall, it changes the family dynamic. So I always, mm-hmm. I'm a huge, huge proponent of postpartum doulas. We have in fact done a podcast talking about how they're helpful. What are your thoughts about that? Like why parents should hire a postpartum doula? Well, I spoke with a mom this morning whose baby was in the NICU for two weeks because they were born at week 34. Last night was their first night home with the baby. And, you know, going to visit your baby three times in the NICU for two weeks is quite different than taking them home. And, you know, oh my gosh, the baby was grunting all night. The baby didn't want to be put down. The baby didn't this. The baby didn't... You're already two weeks into it. Just going to become more tired before things get easier. It's almost like you have jet lag, which makes it hard to kind of think straight. And now you're going on another <laughs> international journey yes. and you haven't recovered from the other one. Mm-hmm. So if you had somebody that you could trust to just hold your baby, if you needed to sleep, explain mm-hmm. to you what you needed to do. It's very hard to think when you're sleep deprived. Really speaking, I see a lot of the time family members come to help after the baby's born. I see confinement nannies. I see parents, grandparents coming from India. They will do the cooking and cleaning, but they don't necessarily teach you how to take care of the baby. Or right. they do all the baby care and you don't learn anything. And then they go, they leave at six weeks and then you don't know what you're doing. And that's not yeah. good either. You've recovered, yeah. but now you have never changed a diaper. Yeah. If I ask you how many dirty diapers does the baby have a day, you don't know the answer because you were taken care of maybe too well. So the postpartum doula, their idea is to wean themselves from their job as well. And that's Mm -hmm. a lactation consultant as well. Get you going and then goodbye. We don't want to see you anymore. (laughs) We're like the hairdresser. Like we want to give you a good service so that now you're good on your own and you don't need us to blow dry your hair every day. We'll teach you how to do it. Um, Wine, if you have the resources, it will keep together as a family. There'll be more peace in the home. Mm-hmm. And you want this to be a time that you reflect back on as a very positive event in your life and not something that triggers trauma. So a follow-up question on preparing for breastfeeding. If someone is is aware about all these things and they're looking for a good breastfeeding class or they're looking for a lactation consultant, what all things should they look for to make sure that they are kind of finding someone or connecting with someone who meets their individual specific needs? Because, you know, every situation is different. Every mother, every baby is different. So what would you suggest they look for in a breastfeeding class and a lactation consultant? Mm. Well, luckily, Pooja, you have a wonderful resource (laughs) already built in that they just can access. And you probably know people's personalities and how they would Mm -hmm. mesh. 
doulas and lactation consultants often refer to one another. And we like to go by people, I guess that we know that helps people in our geographic area, because no one wants to be doing a lot of driving and people that are a good fit or good match could be a specific language. It's important, a specific culture, a breastfeeding class. Hey, you're going to be spending a lot of money on a lot of things. If you have access mm -hmm. to a free breastfeeding class, which actually Sutter is now doing after that class, you have a free zoom with a postpartum doula and you can answer, get your questions answered one-on-one. -on -one. That's a great resource. Maybe you know you're having a C-section. Maybe you've had breast surgery. Maybe you have a history of oversupply, undersupply. So mm -hmm. I don't know any doulas that wouldn't know when to say, okay, why don't you speak to a lactation consultant? Because these problems are a little bit more than what I've been trained to help with. In my particular case, I like being able to use your health insurance to pay for the lactation consult. So if you're a Google employee, all your visits are covered. That's with any lactation consultant. It's a lot of Apple employees have Aetna or Maritane, and I am no longer taking Aetna, but you can go on Aetna's website and find an in-network lactation consultant and you get six free appointments. I work mostly with Anthem Blue Cross and Cigna. And the other is United Healthcare, which is difficult to get reimbursed, but usually for lactation, they'll reimburse up to 50% of what a lactation consultant in this area charges, which is usually in the 300s. Because what we do is we get your intake, we think, we use our expertise, we email you, we call you, we text you. Well, texting mm -hmm. is not HIPAA compliant, but we communicate with you ongoing. We meet with you at least 90 minutes. Some do home visits, some only office, and you are connected. I will speak for all lactation consultants to say, once you are in our database, you know you have, like I said before, a breast friend. We're not going to not answer you. <laughs> You're not going to have to start all over again and explain your situation. We're okay. going to take it from where you want and move forward. So if you want to successfully breastfeed and you have some risk factors, I would hire a lactation consultant that is maybe recommended by your OB or by mm -hmm. newmom.me or by your pediatrician, or by your hospital, but you have to ask, you have to advocate, no one's going to do the work for you. Right. And the self-advocacy is something we are also trying to encourage by a new mom that, you know, when you sign up for your services, we try to kind of talk about and say, and that was, you know, the idea behind starting it, that how do we create this one-stop resource? Like, how do we tell mom that you can have lactation consulting and breastfeeding classes? or you can have physical therapy because this is kind of an entire gamut of care for moms which they need depending on which stage of pregnancy or postpartum they are. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your uh, vote of confidence in your mom. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about it. Like if someone gets a diagnosis with, let's say, insulin-dependent diabetes, you will be set up with a diabetes educator. You'll be instructed how to give yourself, how to check your blood sugar, the in, you know, injections, et cetera. I'm not saying you're going to need to be doing that as a gestational diabetic, but mm -hmm. unfortunately, the way our healthcare system is set up now, except for Kaiser, which is why I like working for Kaiser, there is no direct affiliation with lactation necessarily. It's more like, here's yeah. a business card of somebody. Now, mm -hmm. that's not true for Sutter Sunnyvale, Pamp, 
Alto, they both, and Fremont, they do have lactation consultants on site. So, but you see mm -hmm. what I mean? That's not standard yeah. across the board. Yeah. It's very confusing. So yeah. you need someone to be able to tell you what you need to know. And then which, which I think can make help you with that. Thank you for saying, yeah, I was about to kind of finish your sentence by that, that, you know, if you have a postpartum, that's where they also come in, like informing you, educating you, connecting you with mm -hmm. the right resources, which I think is, is like, if you don't know what you don't know, you can't even get that help. This concludes part two of a breastfeeding series. Coming up, part three, in which Deborah will talk about role of partner, culture and community in breastfeeding and how to bring them together successfully. So stay tuned, subscribe and until then, take care.